You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. You can find this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, Google Play, YouTube, Voice Assistance, just say listen to After The Show Movie Podcast, and you can also find us on ascully.com where we post written reviews. With that out of the way, here are your hosts, Ascully and Sidtalk. Welcome, 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 Sid Talk. Thanks. Um, did you enjoy the Oscars last week? It was alright. It was alright. It was alright. I mean, I've told you. I'm I every year I get a less and less thing for it. And it's fine. I'm neutral. It's fun. Did you enjoy the overall winners? I didn't see most of all the winner stuff, so We did just review know. the best picture though, that the day before. True. And it was good. I don't know if it's the best because we didn't see all the options, but it was good and I'm glad it's getting attention. Um, I liked in the Oscars. um, I I actually like that there's no host. That's fine. This is not the before the after the show, by the way, but this is is. as close as you're going to get. I liked the uh, the, there was no host. That's fine. Um, Because all the people who come on. In fact, you get just a bunch of hosts, don't you? Really? Yeah, and we don't really need people introducing everything. I think that's very old-fashioned. I liked Paul Thomas Anderson's wife being funny with uh, Kristen Wiig. I said, you're going to need to somehow tweet to these people that (laughs) she has no identity to you, except that she's Paul Thomas Anderson's wife. I'm sure she would really love that. And now, you know, Hopper from Stranger Things, now he is um, Lily Allen's bloke. Mm. Because I don't know his name. (laughs) Um, I liked... Billie Eilish's performance with the, she sang yesterday with the, you know, what do you call it? In Memoriam? Yeah. They missed somebody off In Memoriam, Sig, Sid Haig from uh, Rob Zombie's movies. People were mad about that. There's always going to be somebody mad. Yeah. Um, I didn't like some of the musical numbers. Not really. <laughs> I didn't like the one with the Frozen 2 song. I wasn't so keen on that. Even though it was cool that they brought all the different Elsas from around the yeah, world. Yeah, that is cool to... Something I never even thought about. Yeah. I like... I don't know. That musical number with um, Janelle Monet, she called, from the begin at the beginning was kind of cool. It was kind of modern. And Eminem was a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, very weird. Yeah. <clears throat> um, What else? Anything else you remember? I mean, I'm just being honest. It's not that big a deal to me anymore. I know that you love it. I do. And it's a movie thing. It's my favorite but to me, it, it's not your favorite thing. But I mean, it's, I just, I feel like I'm maturing past it. <laughs> the spectacle of it, the validity of it. I'm not a big fan of the, like, the culture of it, where, like we discussed last week, the best is not necessarily going to get attention. It just doesn't work that way. It isn't a foot race where it's definitive or that, you know, you enter the race, you win or lose, and that's it. It's very subjective, and we just get like a tiny sampling of all the movies, all the films and storytelling that gets done around the whole world. My uh, favorite awards were Brad Pitt for Supporting Actor, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Joaquin Phoenix for The Joker, is um? Did you like his speech? It was fine. I mean, it's his thing <laughs> to <laughs> say what he wants to say. So, I think people get a little too wrapped up in this. This is just a famous actor person who's got an award and is on a platform and says what he thinks about the world and life. And I think we can all move on. And then also the guy who I think is Boon Jong Ho, the director of. Parasite. <laughs> yeah. I liked that how happy he was. You could see he got like well he I got think he most, was more like surprised. Yeah, like what the hell? Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> said at one I feel like we're making history tonight. Yeah. <laughs> one of his uh, actresses said. Which they were, because they never been never won that. A uh foreign So so have not many other countries in the whole world. So I mean, again, it's just a matter of did we see a film represented from like every country? 
every type of people. No. Well, maybe it will open the door for that now. Yeah, I would like to think that's not how it has to work, but I guess it does. All right, so it's Saturday for the Oscars. Was pretty good. The Saturday, the Oscars. It's Saturday, February the 15th. This is after the show 621. We look at a movie every week. This week's movie is Midway. It's a 2019 movie. Releases on Blu-ray February the 25th. So we got this a little bit early for review. It's PG-13. And our friends at Lionsgate sent us the 4K release to review. Sid Talk, you give us your synopsis of Midway and then I'll give you the one off the box. Well, it's a Hollywood telling of a real event, which was the Battle of Midway, the follow-up battle after Pearl Harbor between America and Japan. And what it says on the box is, Midway centers on the Battle of Midway, a clash (laughs) between American fleet and the Imperial Japanese Navy, which marked a pivotal turning point in the Pacific Theater during World War II. The film, based on the real-life events of the heroic feat, tells the story of the leaders and soldiers who use their instincts, fortitude, and bravery to overcome the odds. And this is also a Roland Emmerich film. The director who brought you Independence Day, Godzilla, (laughs) Day After Tomorrow 2012. So you might know what to expect on the level, you know, special effects. Big. Okay. So, um, Midway. Did you like it? It's hard to say if you like a war movie. Let's just start there because that seems rude to say, yeah, was, I, li- I enjoyed it. Because it's like, you're really telling the story of people who, at least two of those people are still alive from what we could tell from the extras. I don't know how many more. Now that is like survivors of actually being there. Um, there will be other people who might have been younger and around who remember it and live through it. But... To enjoy it, I think it's the wrong word, but it was, it's gripping because I don't understand world politics and concept of war and power and all of that. I, I understand it from the point of view of, oh yes, you have a resource, we want to take it or we want to use it. You're not going to give it to us willingly, so we're just going to have to come beat the shit out of you. Right, that's like the mentality. Or you have something that belongs to us and we're going to take it back. Or you wronged us and we're going to make it right by blowing you up or killing you. So I I understand those fundamentals, (laughs) right? But then on the bigger scale, when they talk about like all the maneuvering and everything, I get really confused. So I had to really focus. And all I just kept thinking of, it really doesn't matter about all that. It's the people, those soldiers, the flymen. The people on the ships, the guys doing all the stuff, they're real. that was their life. Like this terrifying, exhilarating, you know, world-ending stuff it would have felt like. And so I kept focusing on that, and I had a cup of tea in my hands, and I, at one point I was squeezing it really hard because I was like, oh my god, just my uncle was in World War II, my grandfather was on his way to World War II when it ended, right as it ended, like he was literally still on the ship when they declared uh, surrender in Japan. And my uncle Wilbur was actually, uh, he parachuted out of those planes that we saw the guys open the hole in the bottom and then to fall out. And his tales about it are very different than what you would see in any movie or hear from most people, I would say, because he was quite exuberant about it. Um, So it just kept making me think of the actual humanity of it all. The- what what does it all boil down to? And it that to me it really pulled at that a lot. So I appreciated that. And unlike something like Pearl Harbor, where they make people up and do a more of a dramatized like you know the people oh, yeah. the people are just you know actors in a movie like playing parts. This, I mean they are the people in this movie are playing real people. Everybody yeah. like so. Um, now I really enjoyed this movie. Let, let me say, but I will give you my um, underscore why. I, <laughs> one, I, I understand what Ro, our Roland Emmerich um, comes at films because I've seen most of his films and he's into spectacle and awe, which this battle will give you that, right? If you, you know, the way he films it. Now, this movie, I would say like 90% of it is CGI and a lot of the time you can tell it is. Oh, gosh, yeah. But then there are times when it doesn't look like it. 
Um, there are there are some some of the actual plane sequences are really awesome, but then when you see people, even if they just stood on the deck of a ship, it doesn't really look like they're actually there. It's a bit correct. Yeah, everything's a bit the CGI, the looping, and a lot of the acting. Well, was not great. So, but the CGI is top notch <laughs> in some parts, right? So, I don't. I mean, I mean some when of you it, see yeah. a long shot of the battle, like from from the yes. from, and you see the planes coming in, and the the cameras on the back of the plane almost, and it and you see them all just coming, and you can see the big wide scape and all the ships in the ocean. I think that looks top notch. Yes, and some of the ones where you're the sh- the plane is flying straight down toward a ship, and the bullets or whatever are flying up and. The smoke is coming up. Some of those seemed pretty good. Yeah. Still so, a little ropey at times, but like I was totally convinced, so I just kind of let it go because there was a lot of bad green screen going on. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. It's just a different standard. Like it, um, I was they thinking, color graded it all too to look kind of like nineteen forties yeah, photographs. They suck the color out, like so. It's kind of it's not sepia, but it's like close. Yeah, down isn't it? Like there's not a lot of color. But um, I thought it looked good, mostly, and the sound is excellent, and the whole... I do get the effect of a battle, and it is exciting Absolutely. to watch. I, um, and what Roland Emmerich, I've noticed what he does in his movies, because he's all about like the spectacle, is he really simplifies the story right down, and I, f- I believe he did here, too. Oh, God, yeah, because I wasn't following a lot of it. It's like there isn't... It's like, it's just simple. It's war, like ABCs of war. It's not... It's almost it's, presuming you already know how this all went down, and he's just hitting the bullet points for you. Yeah. Cutting so it, to a moment when you're like, whoa, 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 we just saw the guys on the ship, and now you're telling us the ship got bombed, and the next thing we see is that ship in the water, but not like a straight thing of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that's the way he approaches things, because all of his movies come across that way to me, everything, even if he's dealing with... Independence space. Day wasn't right. Yeah, Independence Day is pretty simplistic. There's simplistic, not, but it's not choppy as in you don't know exactly Well, I what's wasn't referring on. to choppy. I was referring to like how simple. Mm. Like I I see his movie, the way he designs a movie, it's like looking at a bunch of storyboards. And it, and there's not a ton of plot or like this movie, I admire it for one thing. It didn't have like a, a love story in the heart of it or anything like that. It was just about the guys. There was no like well, let's take five minutes here to have a love story. There was none of that. I mean, they did with the man. I mean, and his he had wife. a wife, right? Yeah. But they didn't. It didn't do what Pearl Harbor did and tried to tug at your heartstrings you by going, right. "Look, here's the wife." Oh, you're going to be sad when the when the soldier doesn't come back <laughs> from war. They didn't do that, and I I admired that for not doing that because I was thinking when it opened, I was thinking this is just going to be like Pearl Harbor, isn't it? By Jerry Bruckheimer, it's going to be like that. It's going to have the... Well, I mean, the opening did say... It's, it didn't just say it was based on a true story. It actually said this is a depiction of true events during says, the Battle of Midway or whatever it said. Yeah, it says based on real events on the title card. Right. Um, which can often mean, well, it's based on real events, but the Titanic's real and Rose and Jack are not, right? True. You can often true, do that. True, true. So I, at first I thought, this is going to be like Titanic or Pearl Harbor, but with Midway. And it actually, thankfully, is not that. It doesn't go for the, like, lowest, com- you know, play a song over the top of it and uh, make you all feel That's sad. not correct. It constantly played really sad music over the parts where you were like, oh, shit, well, is that, this guy going to go I, down? I said a song, like a song with lyrics. There's none of that. There's no song. It's all classical music mm-hmm. over the top. It's Same a thing, score. Though, really, to me. The music me, wells up cool. and it tries to pull on your emotion to kind of give you a foreshadowing of what's really going down. There's a lot of that. But then what I appreciate about this movie, Midway, is it's it's almost like a throwback movie. And I don't mean a throwback to, like, the 40s. I mean a throwback to, like, a more simple movie-making scheme. Like, if you look at something like Dunkirk, which I loved, it's very modern in, in a way, the way it's filmed, the way it looks, the way it feels. It feels modern. Do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. The way it's made. It feels like there's a lot of technology going on. It's the way it's the film, the camera. This is just very straight up. True. It's almost like a really giant TV movie. It's like, is the Yes, I got the vibe of the basic yeah. 
hit the plot points and make big spectacle special effects. Yeah. So it's exciting. You'll root for some of the people, but there again, it's it's also underwritten. So there's there's a lot of people that you don't particularly care for because you don't, even though they're real people, you don't not given enough time with any with a lot of them to really. But that's bond. what I loved about it. My main thing was it was very neutral. Oh, it doesn't it go for either side. It portrayed Japan, Japanese, like even the commanders and the soldiers. And the same with the Americans when they're making choices based on the information they're given, the expectations of their higher-ups, and sort of everything all wrapped together in a certain kind of pride, you know, country pride, and like what is expected of me to get this thing done is very neutral. Like you don't feel like you are rooting against it doesn't like hype up either side it doesn't show you a whole japanese soldier's life story or anything like that but occasionally you're in the cockpit with a japanese soldier looking at his face right after you've just looked at the american guy's face because they're the same right they're in the exact same position that if you it depends on your point of view which one you're rooting for but those guys are just doing the they're same in the thing. military and they're, yeah, they're they've doing, been told. Yeah, yeah, they're not evil. They're not doing anything that they haven't been taught, trained, and expected to do. And I like that they pretty much leveled the playing field for your emotions on that. I mean, you're going to root more for your, if you're, you know, in one country or the other, potentially, I don't know. But I, I got done with it and I thought, wow. And at the end, it even said, yeah, this movie is dedicated to all the American and Japanese soldiers who fought at Midway. And I thought that is a very daring and very respectable touch, I think. Yeah. Because they would have had to have communicated with Japanese historians and possibly Japanese soldiers who would maybe still be alive from then to get a lot of the details. And the movie starts with Pearl Harbor. So you actually get to see Pearl Harbor happen also, which I was like, whoa, this movie like literally opens there's a little tiny yeah, build up and then Pearl Harbor happens which if you've watched the movie Pearl Harbor it takes two hours and 30 minutes <laughs> to get to Pearl Harbor this literally opens with Pearl Harbor you feel the effects of Pearl Harbor and then we move on to Midway so that's why I say this movie feels really action packed because it doesn't really let up there's not really a true. there's not many scenes where people are just discussing anything it's more like, okay, we're, there's a couple of guys saying something, now we're in the sky, like, and, you know, there's a lot of dogfights. If you don't like dogfights, because this movie consists mostly of dogfights. True. Um, and one thing I wasn't sure about was, I always thought, like, that the Japanese, you know, the kamikaze maneuver, where they just decide to, like, die and smash into something. I always thought that was a Japanese thing. But, like, the Americans were doing it also in this movie. Right, but that doesn't mean it was Japanese. Because it was called the kamikaze maneuver, right? I don't know. I don't know, actually. I mean, I've heard it in movies and shit like that. But I don't know, technically, if it exists as a real thing or if it's just... Oh, it totally existed as a real thing. Right, but, I mean, Japan didn't always have airplanes. So the idea that someone would sacrifice themselves as a soldier to win a battle or something has to go back further than airplanes, right? Hmm. So is the kamikaze thing just for airline, airplane pilots, or is it just the idea of someone being like, fuck it, I'm just going in, I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to take it down a bunch of them with me when I go. And that That makes seems pretty universal. <laughs> Not, that doesn't sound very national, like, specific to me. And there's a bunch of, like, um, another thing this movie made me think about was how Taking a plane off an aircraft carrier is nuts. Oh my god. It's like how who <laughs> invented that? And the first few times, how how did they survive? I mean I mean it's insanely ingenious how an airplane can take off from a boat or ship, a carrier, and then land on it. It's crazy crazy genius human engineering. I feel like landing on it is the hard like taking off obviously because there's not much of a run up. Exactly. And nowadays you're in jet planes, which are actually catapulted off, which it goes way faster. But back in these days, they barely had enough speed to take off. Like, and you see it a bunch of times on here. Where and he even commented once he had to take off. So the ship has to be moving or the carrier has to be moving at a certain pace and you're going the opposite direction, clearly. Right. Or 
the same direction? I don't know. I didn't catch that. Because he said, we're going too slow. The ship's moving too slow. So that must have been part of that, too. Yeah. When you're um, when you're taking <laughs> off, the ship's going pretty fast. And you're it, that gives you some momentum. But when you're landing, it's the opposite. Because you're coming in. You just got to stop, like, yeah, you right stop quick. split second. Yeah. <laughs> but it is crazy. And you see a bunch of that. And like I say, the CG's... I mean, it's pretty spectacular in parts. But then sometimes you're like, oh. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's like when you see people talking inside the cockpits at each other, which is a lot of the movie, there's no wind in the hair or anything. They've got the things open. True. And there's no, not much sound. Like so. It, oh, the it, looping is so bad throughout the entire movie. Almost every single scene is bad. Like badly done. Yeah, like sadly. in the in a cockpit, if you were flying really fast through the air and then you would you had the top open, which they do, and then they're talking, and there's really no wind noise or anything. They're just talking to each other, and you're like watching it going, that doesn't seem right. Like, where's the wind? Where's the... <laughs> Your so, brain doesn't connect correctly. No, and then True. when whenever anybody was stood on an aircraft carrier, when they were stood on the deck, it, every time I kept thinking of Star Wars, like, the you know, the prequels, where it looks like they're not in their place. <laughs> like, because green screen was new then in those Star Wars prequels, and there's a lot of time where you're looking at Jar Jar and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, and you're like, wow, it really looks weird. Like, they're, they're stood in front of a green screen, and that... Well, I this, don't remember that. Yeah, well, it really, it really looks bad if you watch it now because it's, you know, it's, it was just at its infancy that that kind of thing. But in this movie, whenever they stood on an aircraft carrier, and they are quite a lot, it the lighting isn't right. It it doesn't look like they're really on it. True. So it looks like they're in a studio, and then there's an, you know, a, a CG aircraft carrier like that they stood on, and I noticed that a lot. And it kept bugging me. I was like, couldn't they just made that a bit better? Like, got the light. Can't you get the lighting matched? Like, in color. I don't think that was the objective, though, was it? The story was, the plan was to tell the story of the event. I think so they told the story of the that. event just right, actually. Yeah, I agree. I think it's. But I wasn't there. So I wouldn't I don't say know it was sure. fun because it's pretty grueling. Oh, also, it's PG 13. It's not really full of blood or anything like that. It's not gory. True. It's not a gory war movie where you see somebody get exploded into bits or anything. It's it's pretty kind of neutral. Like, and it's, I guess it's neutral in that, like, you could sit and watch this with a kid, right? There's nothing objectionable. There's no sex. There's no swearing. True. I mean, it's war. I don't know if it's that's It's a historical point. thing. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. It's not like, you know, adulted up at all like that. So, but there again, it missed, I bet, you know, historically, it, it's probably not, thoroughly accurate it's not like you should watch yeah, this to feel good about. when you're looking up your imdb reviews you yeah. will find a, <laughs> a few corrections but generally people respect the effort it's just that of course there are going to be things that a producer and a set designer and a costume designer from a movie making company just the research it can't be endless you know there has to be an end to how deep you dig to find out every detail i've, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for roland emmerich's stuff 2012 remains the one that I dislike. Kind of yeah, dis- but I like it. Yeah, but Day After Tomorrow, and I even I look. I think his Godzilla is better than these new ones. Oh, definitely. It's not good, but it's, it's cheesy. Than- it's cheesy as hell. But <laughs> I, really I'd rather bad. watch that than the new one. I would too, actually. And Independence Day, it's cheesy as hell, but it's I, it's fun. It's just you know, I'd rather watch it than uh, Godzilla now too. Yeah, fifty times in a row. But Roland Emmerich's like always had that, you know, big giant. But when blockbusters were a new thing, these giant special effects movies, Independence Day was one of the first big giant spectacular summer. I movie. saw it on it's on Independence Day, the year that it came out in the theater. I, I went specifically on Fourth of July to watch it. I did not see it in the theater at all. I don't think. I saw it on Blu-ray. I mean, I saw it on DVD when it came out. But Godzilla I did see in the theater, and I, I, I still like that movie to this day. It's got Ferris Bueller in it. <laughs> Bueller. 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 Um, so, yeah, uh, this movie has that Roland Emmerich vibe, which I think might offend some people because it's more, it's less, like, again, when Christopher Nolan did Dunkirk, 
it was praised for its realism and its, which I also admire and think it's amazing that movie. This is not like that. This is more like a, like a summer blockbuster version of a war movie. If there is such a thing, it's like, I hate to say fun because it's not fun. Is it? Cause it's no. about war, but when you're watching them in the, the way it's portrayed in this movie and they're in like, the cockpits and they're flying about. It, they could also be in space in spaceships doing the same thing. It's the way it's portrayed is that way. Like the old type, like Star Wars is even. Mm-hmm. So it just feels different to the real gritty realism of something else because it doesn't feel gritty and realistic to me because of its CG. I mean... Poor CGI. I don't know if it's poor though. I think it's just like they got this one standard and they went for that. I think it's poor. If I'm not convinced when I'm sitting there that it's happening, at least on some level, and I'm just constantly thinking of how the person sitting at the computer editing that scene, how could they have let that go by? That's poor. One thing that did ring in my mind quite a few times was how amazing Pearl Harbor still looks, because I saw a trailer for it the other day. Um, this The special effects in Pearl Harbor, which was a movie from what, how, how old is it now, 20 years? Oh, I thought you just said a little bit ago it didn't hold up. No, it totally holds up, Pearl mm. Harbor. It's way better than this movie. It, You know, like Titanic holds up? Titanic really holds up if you watch it. Does it? Yes, really. Like the when the boat starts to... When the ship starts to go, it, it looks like it's really happening. <clears throat> um, mm. The only thing that doesn't hold up in Titanic is there's one shot in the whole movie and it's like it's got CGI people falling and oh, they, yeah. they look kind of ropey now, but the actual movie itself, it, it holds up, and so does Pearl Harbor, and this is worse than Pearl Harbor visually. Pearl Harbor really kind of nailed those bombs falling from the planes and all that. It, whoa. <laughs> that was my phone. <laughs> um, Sid Talk does not know how to mute. Eh. They probably phone. didn't even hear it. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> all right, so... um. Moving on to the cast here. Uh, and this is like a star-studded cast, but there's also a lot of ropey acting. Oh, my God. And then I was like, is, the rope, is it sad. supposed to be ropey acting? Because of, are they so. going for the era and all that stuff? I just think it's one of those situations where the, the flatness is what I felt constantly was not to overshadow the person. I mean, the guy chewing the gum is like the main thing. And I think he was supposed to be the focus of the the idea of the hero along with the others. Um, well, we'll start with flyers him. and whatnot. Ed, Ed screen is Dick best, right? That he had the bigger personality, but then all of them had their traits. It just wasn't, I don't think you'd want to overshadow the real people and make them like, you know, extra cocky, extra whatever they were. And even the people who were afraid or the soldiers who were like, I can't do this, they didn't make them like super extremely wimpy or anything like that. It was all very middle. And the performances were all right in the middle too. There wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of big speeches or moments of, you know, like how a performer could pull in like big, deep emotion. It was just very much like we're just telling the story, everybody. So just stick to the plan of being relatively neutral. Now, I thought Woody Harrelson was pretty good. And the ju- chew... Well, we're going through... Um, the gum-chewing guy was pretty good. Well, Ed Screen, you thought he was good. At times. I thought he was awful. At times, I was totally convinced. His accent kept slipping. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think I liked his effort. Sometimes <laughs> he was doing that, hey, everybody, hey, you know, like real like kind of like radio play kind of voice. Sometimes it just was slipped out completely. But uh, I thing is, I didn't really like his performance at all, but I liked his character. Yeah, definitely. The character he was portraying. Um, Patrick Wilson, who I thought was my, is my favorite thing in the movie. You Who's know? he? Patrick Wilson from The Conjuring. The Conjuring. Conjuring. Yes, he's, he's always good, though. Yeah, he was excellent in this. And I liked his understatedness because he's... I, liked the, I actually liked the real guy's story. About yeah. the guy, you know, the the arc of his story is really good. And he's understated the way he portrays it. He is, there are moments where you can... We'll tell f- what he is. Yeah, you tell who he is. Um, okay, he is an Edwin intelligence Layton. officer who works with 
the code breakers to interpret any weird messages coming out of Japan, secret or not or whatnot, and he has to then compile all the information and then translate it and give it to the people in charge because that they didn't have the internet, right? They didn't have all they didn't have satellites, they had nothing. They had to have somebody radio. listening in on every radio feed on the whole planet and listen for any little clues and then they would type them out and write them down and decode things, piece things together, and then give it to this guy. And then he would have to, like, you know, make assumptions and intelligence work. I guess that's what it is. I've never really understood what it was about, but this gave me a little better idea, and I, I always like him. I think he's good. Yeah, and at the beginning, like, he's, he, you know, it's the opening of the movie is him going for a meeting with the Japanese, like, military. When they basically tell him what's going on. They basically down. tell him what they're going to do. And he comes back and, from what I gather, like, because it really cuts to the Chase's movie. Yeah. He's kind of told a few people that... This well, he told his boss. Yeah. He said... But nobody's really... Nobody really took it that serious. Correct. But then when it happened, they're all like, oh, fuck, yeah. We should have listened to that guy. And then they take him a bit more seriously. And then he gets his little ragtag bunch of people together, which I thought was cool. And then... You make it sound like Armageddon. It kind of is like that <laughs> a bit, but like, real. <laughs> they're already there. They're doing their code yeah. breaking. But the guy is a bit eccentric. That's almost a movie in itself. I'd like to sure. see those people, like what that was about, those people. Because that was a real thing. I just was reading about it. Well, um, sure. These code breakers, like they. Um, and then I kept seeing this like subtle thing from Patrick Wilson where he's like, kind of like, you know, I, I told you so, but I didn't like... You know, I, w- I want to say I told you so. You get, there was a look of that on him sometimes. You know, when he... Like, I'm not I, sure. I felt like he was pretty devoted to his job and understood. He just wished... He kept saying he wished he had communicated it better. So I think... Yeah, I don't know well, the real like person. He, a lot of the, he's put a blame on himself. Yeah. Yeah. The, there was a lot of, like, stuff from him where I was like, oh, wow, that's really good. He was a lot more subtle yeah. and emotive than most of the people. We'll yeah, he that. was to me he was the best person in the movie. Woody Harrelson plays Chester W. Nimps. Uh, again, Woody Harrelson was really good. Yeah, he was fine. But um, he's like as far as the main story goes, you don't see him a lot. To be honest, you see him during the. No, you don't need to. I mean, his role is he was the guy actually in charge of this whole new defensive thing after Pearl Harbor, so. You know, we don't really need to see him a lot. Luke Evans as Wade McCluskey. Every time I look at Luke Evans now, after seeing him on Jonathan Ross show, <laughs> and he did that singing, I feel like he's going to burst into song. I thought he was really good, though. He was one of the good ones, too, that was pre- consistently, you know, yeah, he performing was instead of just, like, saying lines. I know that sounds awful, but it is what it is. Then we've got Mandy Moore as Anne Best. Um, that was Mandy Moore? Yeah. My God, I never recognize her. She's like ever changing. Yeah, she was quite good, but like, I'm and I'm glad that they didn't do what Pearl Harbor did and have that whole story with the women and the yeah. the sappy stuff. Even though that's nice and everything, um, they didn't really do that here. It was just like it was the obvious. Like she obviously she's like my husband might not come back every single time, and there was that feeling from her, but. They didn't play with it that much, did they? I mean, Mm-mm. she isn't really in it that much. Uh, and Dennis Quaid as William Bull Halsey. What do you think of Dennis? Uh, you think he was a bit like, crappy? It was a bit caricaturish. That, yeah, that performance. It wasn't, I didn't like it. No, I'm not a big Dennis Quaid fan. Past like 1992, probably. I just feel like he's not. He's one of those overrated people. I think. Oh, Dennis Quaid's gonna. gonna <laughs> I know, but he wasn't good. It wasn't gonna be good. upset with you. I understand where he was going with it. I think because he was like curmudgeonly, sort of like rough around the edges. It did feel a bit caricatured. To me. Yes, I agree. Like with he that. was a bit over the top with it. Yeah, even though that guy might have been. Maybe it was exactly the way yeah, that guy was. Maybe, know. and if so, sorry, Dennis. Quaid. Yeah, sorry, Dennis. If you're listening to this, my apologies. So directed by Roland Emmerich. Independence Day, Godzilla, Day After Tomorrow, 2012. Big movies like that. Um, some people hate him. They think he's a hack. And some people love him because they like big disaster movies, which is what he's famous for. What do you think of him about his directing style? Uh, 
It's it's very commercial. It's commercial. It's solid, straight up. But he doesn't have high standards, just like Peter Jackson does not have high enough standards. And also put Michael Bay in there too. Right. They don't have a high enough standard for the final, actual look of special effects, stunt work, and the performances. Now they're telling a big story. They got big shit going on. Their standard just isn't right up there, you know? I don't know about Michael Bay. Michael Bay's standards are a bit maybe too high, like he... Special effects. I mean, I love Transformers, so... I mean, they're superb. I mean, Michael Bay's... But I love Transformers. I love seeing giant robots in the daytime. I think they look awesome. The performances, however, and the dialogue... That's what I'm saying. Michael Bay's performance and dialogue is similar to Roland Emmerich's. It's very very, um, standard. It's like... We'll just do it. We'll just do it like the least we can, and that's what we'll do. <laughs> like it doesn't need to be um, gone with the wind, you know. Yeah, but is gone with the wind everyone's standard anymore? You know, like. Well, that was just an example. It doesn't yeah. need to be magnolia. <laughs> you know. What Again, I mean? well, I'll I'll say the question one more time. Does magnolia even say? It a doesn't standard? need to be Garfield too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, so he's very. So this is how I would describe Roland Emmerich: he's very commercial, and he's very economical. Yeah, he makes hundred million dollar movies like this. Is he's economical with what quality? Economical <laughs> with like, it's very like. You're imagining, aren't you, that on the set they do a scene. If you and I were standing there looking at each other, we'd be like, "They need to do that again." And he's like, "We're good." Yeah, Put it well, in the can. I'd also describe it like this: like it. All of his movies, including this one. You know those books like For Dummies, where it simplifies everything right down? I feel all of his movies are just... I disagree. It's a very simple story. It's and it, simple, but this didn't simplify it enough for me. Oh, right. Sometimes. Well, the, the, you know, all of them. It, it just... It's about getting... For him, I think, it's about getting to the entertainment value of it. And not... Sure. It, not it being like a masterpiece or anything. It being an entertaining movie that... Is full of action because it's quite clear that action is his thing, right? He, he likes a bit of action because most of his, I'd say, eighty percent of his movies are action. Well, if you watch any of his movies, eighty percent of that particular title is action. Independence Day being one of them. Eighty percent precisely. Yeah. Hmm. You've done the math. So I, I like, I like what he does, and I kind of the weird thing about Roland Emmerich is I have kind of a low expectation when I watch one of his movies. Because I kind of know what he does. And it kind of comes with him. I don't know if that's bad or good. That's not good. <laughs> but I know, like... It, like, So if you need to lower your expectations for me as a wife, then I have nothing to live up to, which would be great. Yeah, well, as I started watching <laughs> this movie, and then I realized, oh, yeah, some of the CG's really ropey, and then I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what all of his movies are like. Even Independence Day has some ropey CG. And that might, you know, that might be the one people say always, oh, that's his masterpiece. Oh my God. Who in the hell would say that that movie's a masterpiece? No, I love it. his masterpiece no out of would. his titles. Yeah, no one would say that. You know, I, I believe they would. <laughs> no, I don't think they would. <laughs> I believe they, they'd call that his movie, like the movie that he was, you know, hmm. the best movie he's made. Delusional people, you mean? Sure. We'll go with that. So extras on the 4K disc and the Blu-ray, there are a lot. There is audio commentary by Roland Emmerich, Getting It Right, The Making of Midway, The Men of Midway, Roland Emmerich, Man on a Mission, Turning Point, The Legacy of Midway, Joe Rochefort, Breaking the Japanese Code, We Met at Midway, Two Survivors Remember, and the theatrical trailer. So there's loads of stuff, including, uh, you know, the two two hour and 18 minute commentary. And we watched the one with the veteran gentleman, which was very good. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. It's not like they skimped. So IMDb reviews, what are those? Uh, you look for one-star reviews, and then you read them to make fun of them if they disagree with you, and you say, yeah, they're right, if they agree with you. So here's the people who hate this movie from IMDb. Okay. They definitely hate this movie, these people. Let me guess, did it waste the time of their life and do they wish they had those two hours back? Well, the first guy says, Chinese garbage on the silver screen. (laughs) I'm not sure what others believe constitute a good movie, but this isn't it. 
The opening credits highlight Chinese producers and influences of the film, and it makes sense as the movie trudges along. The storytelling and lineage of the movie are very disjointed and fractured. It feels like they were trying to recreate the magic of Dunkirk, but didn't have any clue how to do it. There are also scenes that have no place in the movie. If anything, they create confusion as to what is really going on. Moving on from this choppy storytelling, the characters are one-dimensional, and in no way representative of members of the military. If they got one thing right, it was this. They like the intense explosions and in-your-face camera <laughs> shots, but this is watered down by the cheap CGI. See this at your own risk, but be sure to know the history of the Pacific campaign in World War II is not this. That's fair. I think that's all fair. This guy says, Bad script, even worse CGI. What a Although, I, no, I disagree with the Chinese part because China was actually like a victim of Japan trying to take over in China at the time. So I'm not sure how that influence could be bad. Like they just want to tell the story also. Maybe I'm just naive, but I disagree with that part. This guy says, terrible script, subpar acting and horrible CGI. Also, 80% of this movie CGI. I mean, come on, couldn't they just got a real boat and took it out on the sea? <laughs> the Japanese commanders were a positive note in this movie. It isn't the worst movie ever made, but it's very close to being the worst ever made. Very close, eh? Yes. I disagree with that. Me too. They haven't seen Godzilla, apparently, <laughs> from last year. <laughs> yeah. This, it's this guy says, uh, this movie makes no sense. You have to look it up to understand it. It's the worst movie of any year. Okay, I agree with the fact that you have to look it up to understand it, because I knew nothing about Midway. I know didn't know where it was. I know nothing. I will admit that my education or my attention to my education over my lifetime has been slim to none. And as an adult, I seek these things out because I'm like, I've heard of this and that. I've never really, to my knowledge, I've heard of the Battle of Midway, but not like anything else. Didn't know it was after Pearl Harbor. Didn't know where it is in the whole planet. I don't know where the Coral Sea is that they discuss. None of it. So, yeah, I had to look all that up to really grasp what they're talking about. Well, I um, agree with that guy a little bit. This guy says, terrible graphics. <laughs> graphics. That was it. That's what he said. On their, gra- on their business card? <laughs> on their flyer? And this guy says, uh, rubbish film rubbish. with too much CGI. The Battle of Midway didn't even matter as Japan didn't even care about it, let alone the United States. What? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. Is he saying they've made a movie about a battle that did not actually matter? That both sides are like, not really into Eh, this. Whatever. (laughs) And Japan said this, and America said, whatever. um, And then finally, Hollywood needs to stop. There were so many big names and great talent in this movie. The main character is annoying, and the plot is terrible. The script is terrible. The storylines are terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> Tom Hanks and Spielberg should only be allowed to make films. Interesting. <laughs> does not... Tom Hanks make films? Yes, he does. Does he? Yeah. Like he directs films? Yes. Oh. Hayes, where have you been? What did he direct? I'm looking it up. I think I've missed them all. Nah, you haven't missed them. I mean, you have. You know this. I've seen Castaway. Did he direct that? You know that that he's directed movies. Oh, is that Robert Zemeckis? Oh, my God. He's also been a producer on movies, you know. Director movie, two credits. Larry Crown and That Thing You Do. Oh, well, Larry Crown was not very good. (laughs) And That Thing You Do was also not very good. Not in my... He's also directed television shows. Band of Brothers, From Earth to the Moon, Vault of Horror, Fallen Angels, A League of Their Own, Tales from the Crypt. Well, you know. all quality products. Well, you don't know. And he's done producing a lot. All right. So um, so there you go. That Tom is Hanks the bad review. reviews of Midway. And I'm like right in the middle with this movie. I, I enjoyed the... Um, I totally appreciate telling me the story. And it isn't bad. And it isn't anything more than slightly above neutral. I'm not even going to say average. Neutral as in it doesn't rev me up. It educates me to the level of... Wanting to go educate myself some more. I appreciate wanting to give you that feeling like in the submarine when that was happening. My God, I just, I will never know what that felt like. But for that split second, I was like, oh, I am I got claustrophobic. And I'm not claustrophobic. 
people. I can lay in a tanning bed in a box under the ground. Doesn't bother me at all. I can go in a dark closet by myself. That, because they're under attack and the sounds and everything, it made me feel something. In the submarine? Yeah. In the submarine when they were getting, the bombs were dropping down beside them and it was knocking them around and stuff. And I was like, those people who've ever had to be in submarines in that situation or a submarine that's being that's been bombed and going down. It just, it put in my mind the reality of some humans' experiences. So to me, that's a good thing that a movie can do. Yeah, and aside from bad, like you say, bad looping, there's definitely bad looping. Oh my God, uh, it's constant. But the actual sound when they're in the battle with the bombs dropping everything, that's awesome. Yes. So It's just the looping, and looping is when they do the dialogue on the set, set that day. Everybody does their lines. And then later... Because the sound wasn't right or whatever. Um, and sometimes in this movie you can tell they didn't even use the same words the next time. But they go in the studio, in a quiet studio with the headphones and the big microphone like we have now. And they redo the lines to sync up with their mouths. And it does not. And then when they do the sound mixing on the voices, you like you said earlier about the the look of the scenes in the planes... Also, yeah. the sound, it's just like you're talking like us right now. Like we're talking in a in a room, very safe. If you, you want know? an example of this, in the, fir- in the, like, the first time you see the aircraft carrier and then it zooms onto the deck and then you see Ed's screen as Dick Best and he starts to talk, there are different words coming out than what his mouth yes, is portraying. that is a good example. And, and I thought, I looked at it and said, is this out of sync? Is this like a bad, bad disc or something? But then it... It was fine when the next person was talking, and then it went back to him, and I was like, "He don't his mouth, his mouth doesn't match." Like he obviously, you know, either flubbed his lines in that section, or they, they just didn't sound it. great. Yeah, they yeah. didn't get him synced up. It's it was bad, but it's noticeable. You're like, "Oh, it's just a sign of that low standard." When someone watched it back, either they couldn't go back and fix it, which I don't think is true because you always can, or they didn't want to budget it, or they're just like, "It's fine." Yeah. So, um. Thank you to Lionsgate for letting us review this movie. Next week, we are going to review the follow-up to The Shining, Doctor Sleep. So we will look at that next week. Are you excited to see Doctor Sleep? I'm not sure. I don't think that movie needs a follow-up, and I think Stephen King shouldn't have written it. But hey. No. <laughs> do you love The <laughs> no. Shining? No, I disagree. I think he should write anything he wants. Yeah, I do. He's uh, great. I don't necessarily need to watch or imbibe. But we'll, we'll watch it and we'll see. I you like know, Ewan McGregor, so. The Shining is one of my favorite horror movies. If it I is would, indeed a horror movie. I would think so, but then I've watched scenes of it again and I'm not sure if I would think that still. I so. like how it's really long. And, it, you know, when you just talked about, like, claustrophobia, mm-hmm. it definitely feels that. Because there's nowhere to go. Mm. Aside from a massive hotel that you're in. Right. But, but even so, you're just stuck. Is, there's no I'm not way sure out. if I would feel that anymore. I'm grown up now, so it might not scare me the same. It's got as it a used to. special place for me, like The Exorcist does. But I, I wouldn't actually 100% call it a horror movie, either though it's more of a psychological thriller. Yes, a, I know movie stuff. A dramological <laughs> drama, a dramological comedy. It's not got any comedy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so movie recommendations. I'm going with the movie Pearl Harbor. By Michael. Of course you are. Is it by Michael Bay? Or is it Jerry Bruckheimer? Mm-hmm. I think it's Michael Bay, but produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Um, Pearl Harbor, it, it, I like it. It is what they were trying, what they did, and they did do that. They made Titanic, but a Pearl Harbor version of Titanic, because that was, they saw how much Titanic made, and they didn't, it didn't work Ooh, for them. Oh, you're cynical. <laughs> but I think it's a, I like that kind of movie. I love Titanic. I can watch it over and over and over and over. Would you consider yourself a bit of a sap? Yes. <laughs> and on the total opposite spectrum is Dunkirk by Christopher Nolan, which we reviewed last year. And that is a, to me, that's that's a really well-made war movie. Like it is, unlike this movie that we just reviewed, it's the opposite of this movie. I wouldn't say it's the opposite because this movie's fine. I don't want to say that. No, it's I don't bad. mean this one's bad and that one's good. I yeah, mean, well, that's what because you I like mean, that one. The opposite of good is bad, and I don't I mean, think it's bad. No, I don't mean that. I mean the 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 quality of the filmmaking is a, a like a way above this one. I don't think it's the opposite. 
I think it just needs some tweaking and it would be right up there because it's a well-told, you know, wellish told real event. So I would just like to see them tighten up a few screws is all. Right. So um, uh, what are yours? Mine are, my thing for 2020 is to go back to 100 years ago and 50 years ago, because the film industry has been around that long, boys and girls, even a little bit longer, actually. But the funny thing is, last week, one of my, because John Ford was in this movie, because apparently he was at the site where Midway, or one of the islands around Midway, doing filming when this happened, and then he made the movie, the Battle of Midway, I think it's called. Um, So he's in the film, I mean, a guy portraying him, and he directed last week's movie, if you remember, John Ford. It was The Girl in Number 29. This week, uh, from 1920, it's called Way Down East, directed by D.W. Griffith, a very controversial uh, person of the early 20th century, racist and whatnot. So, you know, you can look at him if you want, but this movie was from 1920. And it's the storyline's kind of interesting. For 1920... It's about a young lady who is duped into a fake marriage. And then the story is that she's having to raise an illegitimate child because the dude then takes off or whatever. So that's very, that's interesting. It's 1920. Don't forget, 1920 movie about that kind of a subject. So that'd be interesting to check out. It had Lillian Gish in it, if any of you old people like us have heard of her. And then my movie from 1970s isn't a movie. I hate to break it to you, but I kind of went another direction because one of my favorite shows of all time, in the top 10 at least, is the Mary Tyler Moore show, and it started in 1970. That's 50 years ago, boys and girls. And I'll tell you, I've never seen it. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. She's fantastic. She's hilarious. Now, that's subjective, but those are my recommendations. Go back and watch the Mary Tyler Moore show. All right. So, um... A scully stuff. I've been playing a new game from Ubisoft called Starlink. Um, what Starlink started off with as is it's one of those toys to life games. Do you know what that is? No. Well, you buy like the toys in the in the real world. You go to Walmart and you buy some these toys called Starlink toys. You get the game, and then the, you have the toys, and then you put the toys on a little base, and then they appear in the game. So, okay, got it. So in this instance, they're little spaceships. So you get you keep you buy the different spaceships, and then the spaceships can be in the game, and you you interchange them as you play in the game. Now sounds like a money pit. Yeah, it does, right? So, but the game itself is like a, a space. You saw me playing it earlier. A space exploration game. To be honest, I thought it looked kind of cheap. It's real nice, like it's mm. it's nice. Um, so, what they did for the PC version is um, it's been out for a couple of years now, and the the toys sold really well, and then it kind of fizzled off like most things do, and then the toys ended up in the bargain bin, and you can't really play the game without the toys. So, what they did for the PC version when it came out, like a year later, is they remove the toy part from it and they just all the ships that you would have had to buy they're just in the game like you just pick them from a menu which to me was like like was ideal for me to play it because i don't want anything to do with the toys but the game looks really fun so if you play it on the pc you don't need to buy any toys you just buy the game and the whole game is open for you and all the little like booster packs and all that kind of crap they're just in the game so if you've looked at this game in the past and you thought well that's cool but i don't want to mess around with toys Mm -hmm. well now with the pc you can just not bother with the toys and just play the game the game's really fun if you uh, think of the game no man's sky and the game star fox by nintendo it's like a mixture of those two games you're exploring what i really like is you can be on a planet and then you're going along in your ship and then you point your ship at the sky you fly up into the sky, you're in space, this is all seamless, there's no loading screens. You're flying around in space, you see a pla- another planet that you've never visited, you just head straight on towards it, and then you go into the atmosphere and you land on the planet. There's no loading anywhere at any time. You're just, you know, in this universe, like just flying around and finding things, exploring. When you're in space, there's things to find, there's like 
dogfights to have with like bad bad people. There's leveling up. There's different things to attach to your ship. It's really fun, and uh, it's by Ubisoft. It's kind of one of those Ubisoft games where there's a billion things to do on the map, so you you can always fire it up and go, okay, I'll go and do that thing and mark that thing off. It's got that kind of like Assassin's Creed a little bit, but it's in space. Right. Um, and I don't think a lot of people played it because they thought it was just this kid's toy game. But actually, it's a fun space adventure. It's called Starlink, and it's from Ubisoft. And the other game I've been playing is on Game Pass, and it's called Metro Exodus. And it's the third in the Metro games. It's End of the World. You've seen me playing this one too this week, I think. A little bit. End of the World... Um, it's Russia. Uh, there's like mutated creatures. There's been an accident, maybe atomic accident. And there's a your this whole game is you. You've been for the last two games. They've all been hidden underground because they assume that we'll stay underground because there's been a nuke and you know Russia's been destroyed. And at the end of like the second game, somebody figures well somebody who was looking up above saw people up there so this game is you trying to get to the bottom of is the world over or are there people is the government still around what's going on so you come up to the surface and the whole game is you're on a train and it's like you're going from one side of russia to the other to discover if the if things still still exist you've been underground for like years thinking that nothing exists anymore and it's this like massive train journey and along the way you have to stop and like figure stuff out but um it's just this cool survival game it's re- it's quite difficult there's a lot of uh, what makes it really difficult is there's not many bullets um so every single bullet has to count so if there's like a mutated crab coming after you you've got to make sure you hit it not you know don't hit it in the shell hit it in the meaty parts to kill it and don't like fire hundreds of bullets at off because you've not got many. You have to really make everything count. So it's like Resident Evil in that way, where you're kind of, you know, there's you, there's hundreds of enemies, and you've got like 10 bullets. How do you survive that? So that's Metro Exodus. It's, it looks really awesome. It's like a very good-looking game. Uh, so what is for dinner? What do you think is for dinner? Is it the Whopper in the Impossibles? In the Impossibles, it is the Impossible Whopper because you're very fond of it. And they built one just for us, closer to us. Not super close, but close enough. Well done, Burger King. <laughs> they were thinking of us, right? When they were like, yeah, let's just put like a one nearer to them. Please, too. please. So she doesn't complain about it every week. And the reason we're telling you is because we're vegetarian. We're not vegan. We're not animal rights activists. We're not, um, you know, stop eating meat people, anything like that. We just don't eat meat anymore. It's very simple. It's a simple equation. We are two humans who just chose <laughs> to stop eating meat, and we're fine. We survive just fine by eating as much junk food as we want, as long as there's not any animal in it. We're not vegan, like I said. That's difficult, and that is more of a life philosophy. Look into it if you want to know about it. Um, and so now that uh, they're making delicious Impossible Whoppers, because you always loved... Fast food burgers. Yeah. Now, I was raised by a mother who made homemade burgers all the time. And I didn't like those. And they were not like that at all. They're not flat. They're not big and fucking stupid like restaurant TV shows make them look. You don't put a big hunk of meat between two buns that's about six inches high that's all fluffy and fruity and dumb. You can't even eat it with a big round hard bun. No. You make it like... My mom called them steamed burgers. So, like, she put the burger in the pan, get them a little bit browned, and then... Put the lid on and let him cook through. My parents did not like meat that wasn't well done. So I didn't know you could really have bloody meat until I was a grown up or until I went to college, I guess. I don't know. They both liked well done meat. So our burgers were well done. But that steam thing where she'd put a lot of salt and pepper on it. Then she'd put it on the bun. She'd give us some Thousand Island dressing, lettuce, put it on the little sesame seed bun that she got from the store, and then wrap it in a paper towel with a toothpick in the top, and that was our Big Mac. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So We lived at like an hour away from any McDonald's or fast food. We lived in the rural town far, far away, so you couldn't have got that in a, in a moment's notice anyway. Um, 
So that was our, so I love those burgers. There's, you know, a reasonable thickness, as big around as the bun, but not bigger or smaller. Salt and pepper and ketchup was all I would have for most of my childhood. And then branched out later with a piece of lettuce here and a tomato there. But So now I still like the burger as a concept and the flavor of it all. And Impossible Whopper just seems to do it. It's a little bit thin compared to my mom's hamburgers, but it's big around. So that makes up for it. Nice. And, th- and that's it. All right. So um, let me tell you, oh, what's your... um. Now we've talked about burgers. What's your advice? Oh, my advice. I forgot. Uh, my advice is, um, I was at an event thing with my mother. She's in charge of the historical society of this rural place where I'm just talking about. And a lot of people know that I'm quite, I, I hate when people say someone's outspoken or they're opinionated. Everyone has a fucking opinion. I just happen to say it. And I don't care. I'm not out to make friends. I don't need to please anyone. I don't need to um, navigate around people's opinions of me. And I don't decide what someone thinks of me. My advice is, like, don't decide what someone else is thinking about you unless you ask them and they tell you. Now, they could lie, but when confronted, most people, I think, would, let's not say probably, but there's a slight chance they're going to be honest you know, depending on the circumstance, but you can infer a lot from people's behavior around you and be like, oh, she doesn't like me. Oh, she's mad at me. Oh, she's disappointed in me. I see the reactions, but I actually don't know what's going on in their minds. So I just, I'm like, whatever, whatever. Like, I'll just let it go. Also, it doesn't matter to me. But other people I hear say, oh, she don't like me. And I'll say, well, how do you know that? Well, every time I'm around, she just, she don't ever ask me how my kids are and she doesn't ever do this and that. I'm like, but did she say she doesn't like you? Well, she just doesn't like me. Well, you don't know, right? You don't know until you know. So don't let, because what you're basically doing is also deciding that person's something about them that you don't know, Right. Their behavior might be based on something you have no idea. It's not even related to you. It's just a thing for them. So don't decide what someone else thinks of you without actually confirming with them and from their mouth. Not rumors, not gossip, not their best friend, not your best friend, not through the rumor mill. If you're from a small town, you'll know what I'm saying. You'll know what I'm talking about. Confront or let it go, basically. Yeah, let it go because... Ultimately in life, your life is going to be done someday if you have the chance to be on your deathbed. I've said this many times and you're thinking about it or you know some, you know, you know the end is coming. People in my life have had this circumstance who are gone now. It's not going to be your number one priority to be everybody's fucking friend. It just isn't. I'm not saying go offend everyone. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't waste the time of your life deciding that someone dislikes you. If you're too chicken shit, to ask them. If it bothers you, either ask them or let it go. And it depends on the circumstance. Could be a boss, could be a business situation. I don't know. You're going to have to work around that part. But people waste the time of their life, like hours, days, years of their life, assuming how someone thinks of them. And then also caring, which I don't at all. Like, I, I love... A scully over there, and I still don't care about his opinion of me as a person. Thanks. <laughs> because you don't get to decide how I am. My life is my life, right? And if it for some reason we stop matching up and things aren't working, your opinion of me, of what I say or what I do or how I act, if that becomes a thing where I have to change who I am to make you okay with me, then we're not right for each other. So your opinion of me doesn't matter because it's not going to change me, right? If it isn't, if it doesn't match up and it doesn't, I mean, I'm not talking about behavior where you're just a horrible person and maybe you need to rethink a few things because you're actually hurting people, damaging people. That's different. I'm just talking about in general, you know, you don't like that I talk too much or you don't like how I don't like weird sounds going on or whatever. I'd cook your tea too long, things like that. I don't care. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) change. But I still love you. And you love me. That's what matters. But 
Don't let someone else, don't decide what someone else's opinion of you is, and then act negatively accordingly, because you you could be completely wrong. And that's uh, it. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, sure, no, sure, 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 sure. So you can catch this podcast at ascully.com. <laughs> ascully.com. You know that. Uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all those places. Uh, you can catch the podcast itself, Google Play Store, iTunes Music Store, RSS feed on com slash podcast, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or if you've got one of those like snazzy smart speakers, which we have a few in the house. Uh, we do. You can just activate that speaker and then say, listen to After the Show Movie Podcast on TuneIn and it will play you the latest episode. Email feedback to me at ascoli.com. Don't email Sid Talk. She really doesn't like any of you. That isn't true. And finally... Uh, see, you're assuming. You can't assume that I dislike everyone until you ask me about every single human on the planet. <laughs> and stay classy, the men and women who fought in the Battle of Midway. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'm going to say, think for yourself. If you don't do it, someone will do it for you. 